Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Feels like longer than a week since we've chatted with our next guest. That would be Stephen Holder, who joins us every Wednesday. Here on the Payless Slickers Hotline, Stephen, of course, with ESPN.com now. And, Stephen, I'm sitting there Thanksgiving night and scrolling through Twitter because, to be honest with you, I think I was kind of done with the family. And um, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, Jimmer saying Stephen Holder are having conversations on Thanksgiving? Boy, that's got to be quite the, um, excuse me, i got to back away from the table here and all of a sudden, the big guy wants to chat. Well, how did that come about, and, and what were your big takeaways from that? Oh, boy. Yeah, the reason it feels like more than a week since we've talked is because every week on the cold speed is like a year. Okay, that's the first thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm minding my own business on Thanksgiving, and Jim Mercy, right now, he's, he's in a, he's in a I, I guess, a mood where, or he's in a place, I should say, where, you know, he, he kind of, it seems, he feels the need to respond to, to things. You know, I, I think when, when he initially made the, the Jeff Saturday hire, you know, uh, Tony Dungy and some others had some statements that he didn't, or I guess took exception to, and, you know, he called a couple of our colleagues and, and had some thoughts that he expressed on that. And so this was one of those instances. I wasn't quite sure where he was going with it uh, when he reached out. And as we began talking, well, first I said, well, you know, hey, so uh, we, are we done with Thanksgiving or what here? You know, <laughs> so apparently he had already had dinner. I had not, but whatever. Uh, I think this stems from the uh, Nick Sirianni comments and and some of the sentiments around it but i i just didn't think that required a response but i'm i think you know we in media look if someone of some stature has something to say you know look we are we are the vehicle through which they can talk and that's fine so yeah i think he just wanted to set the record straight that that he uh and frank reich um he was very fond of frank reich and and had very um, you know, had had a very good relationship with Frank Reich, and I think I certainly didn't think otherwise. I, I believed that to be true, and I would say that I heard from Frank Reich. He read the story. He agreed with everything that Jim Mersey said. By the way, which was not something that I included in there uh, because it happened later. So I think everybody's on the same page, <laughs> except maybe Nick Sirianni. Uh, but look, Nick was was talking emotionally, and it kind of is what it is. So. It- Jim mentions in that story that he gave that Frank approached him for the contract extension back last yeah, August, so. and the reason for that was, um, or Jim decided to give Frank an extension, which was not something he typically does with years left in the contract because of the closeness between the Ursa and Reich family. So he was he basically was trying to uh, establish that was that was part of his effort to establish that like hey you know I. I was good to Frank Reich because he claims, and I would have to go do the research on this, but he claims that he is, he's never given a coach a, an extension with two years remaining on his contract. Now, to be clear, to anyone who read the story and was confused about his statements, 
uh, Jim had his dates mixed up. He kept saying that that happened this year. Of course, I, knowing better, said, no, that happened in 2021. So anyway, he insisted repeatedly. So I, I went ahead and put what he said in there and then juxtaposed that you know, next to here's what the team announced, if that makes sense. So if that was confusing to anyone, that's what happened. But anyhow, to your point, uh, yeah, he said, look, you know, he, he said uh, Frank or Frank's agent, he said Frank um, raised the idea of a contract extension. I guess this would have been back in the summer of 2021. And, you know, he said he was initially resistant, but he did it because he felt, well, you know, maybe that would, would sort of strengthen his situation and, and give him uh, sort of a, I, I guess a, a better foundation going forward. And he thought maybe it would be good in the long term. Ultimately it didn't work out, but that's, that's what, that's what Jim Mercy said happened. And yes, it is another example. He says of, of him being very fond of Frank Reich and that the firing being just basically a football decision and, and not about anything else. Stephen Jim Mercy to his credit, Stephen Holder's our guest on the Payless Ziggers Hotline. He's with ESPN and ESPN.com. Jim Mersey, to his credit, has worked very hard and been very public about his work to avoid becoming the unpredictable owner that his father was. And there were a lot of issues that went into his father's uh, unpredictability that fortunately I think Jim Mersey has worked very hard to avoid or shed. However... Is Jim Irsay's competitive fire, not only for his football team, but for his own reputation in terms of his football acumen, beginning to bleed over to a detrimental point towards unpredictability of his franchise? I think here's what we can say. We can say that his recent actions, from all indications, Jim Irsay's recent actions, be they right or wrong, and time will tell. His recent actions are certainly, I think, out of character. I think that's what we can say. And, and, and when I say out of character, I say that because he generally, he, has ma- he always makes his, his opinion known. Okay, Let, let's be clear about that. Like, if you work for Jim Mercer, you always know where Jim Mercer stands. Okay, because he's going to tell you. That's a fact. But that doesn't mean he's going to necessarily dictate what happens and, and what, what you should do. Now, him expressing his opinion, I, I was told this by someone recently, and, it, and it's a good point. I was told by someone recently that, look, I mean, he does have this reputation for, for staying out of things, but he, but he is very, he is very uh, much known to, to express his opinions very firmly and and that does sort of uh, influence actions by general managers, coaches, whoever, right? But I think that's also not what we're talking about here. Here, I think he's gone further than just influencing things. I think he's he clearly dictated some things. And then I think that's where there's a difference, you know? So, yeah, I, I think it's a departure from the past for Jim Mercy. And... I think that's notable, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out in, in, you know, what's to come, because there is going to be a coaching search, and I think this is going to be a bigger coaching search than maybe previously thought. Uh, I'm starting to get that indication. Like, I think the the shine is off 
Jeff Saturday a little bit here. You know, not just because of, you know, the situation Monday night. I just mean generally. I mean, look, it sounded good to Jim Mercy initially. I think it's pretty clear to, to most people that, you know, look, maybe we should think about this, right? Take a step back and, and, and think about whether this is a permanent, whether this should be a permanent move. I think the fan base, I think you'd have to really sell Jeff Saturday to the fan base in the long term, right, as a permanent hire. So I think this is going to be a, an open-ended coaching search. I'm, I'm starting to, to lean that way. So my point is, we'll see how Jim Mercer's recent actions, how they play out in the coaching search and other decisions to come. Going off that point, again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. The shine off, you are interpreting that a little bit more of the Colts are saying, all right, we need to sit back and really look into this as opposed to Saturday himself looking at it and saying, you know, I don't really know if I want to do this on a permanent basis. Yeah, I, I can't say where Jeff stands. Right. That's that's a good interpretation. Yeah, I, I don't know where Jeff stands. Um, <laughs> look, I think from a from a uh, perception standpoint, I think this is probably in, in terms of how you're, how you're perceived, right? You know, because when you're the head coach, you know, you can, you take a lot of bullets, right? And you, you take a lot of criticisms. I mean, look, that part's not fun. <laughs> okay. And I mean, just how they played in the NFL for a long time. So it's not like he's soft about those things, you know, but uh, it's a little different when you're the head coach versus being, you know, the starting center. I think that there's a big difference for sure. And in, in the level of responsibility, right. For, for what happens, the wins, the losses, the decisions, all of that. So I don't know. I don't know how that's affected him. I have no idea. I just know that that's something that's new for him. Right. And uh, the job is also pretty hard. <laughs> so I don't know. I, again, I don't know where it just stands on all this, but I, I do think that he will have a lot to think about, you know, uh, in terms of whether he even wants the job. Right. I, I don't, I don't know that that's a an open and shut case for him. I don't know, and and I think he. I thought he was relatively clear about that when he got the job. I mean, he was eager to do it in, on the interim basis. I, I think he. I, I think he was. He, he left me at least with the impression that, you know, he had no idea whether this was something that he wanted to do or should do in the long term. And and I think from the Colts' perspective, I think that's also going to be the case. I think they're going to step back and, and take a look at this. And I've even heard that they they're looking at various options out there. Um, I don't know who they are, but I've heard that, you know they have a list and that they are compiling a list of of coaches to look at. I think it's very smart, by the way. Good. What's that? Well, which I, I think is very smart. Of I, think, course. I think you need to have an exhaustive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Steven, you ever have one of those dreams where you're like in a hallway and every door is locked and you're it, like you're in a maze, like one of those escape rooms? Like, have you ever had any sort of like epiphany like that? Am I the only one which is entirely possible? You know, this is going to surprise you. But I can't say that I have. Okay. But I'm but I'm 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 willing to hear this out. Though. Let's go. Do you feel like that right now? Uh, okay. So, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you get the imagery, right? Like you have that yeah, dream, or like in a horror movie where somebody's in a hall and you know trying to get out, every door's locked. That I, sounds terrible. 
it it is and i feel like that's when i look at the colts future that's what it feels like to me yeah every single avenue that i think of as being their outlet towards a a sunny future moving forward has the doors locked they don't have a quarterback for the future they don't have a left tackle theoretically for the future they don't have uh, a, a a field stretching wide receiver for the future they don't have a coach right now in the future it's not certain they have a general manager in the future i talk me off the ledge here no i i have to kind of agree and and I've, i'm trying to articulate a, a quarterback story here you know, there's so many moving parts to that whole thing. But as part of that, what one of the things I've been thinking about is these last three years where they've gone with the veteran quarterback, they've done it in part because they didn't feel like there were, they didn't feel like the draft was, was a viable option for them, you know, to find a starter immediately. And that's fine. Whatever. We can, we can criticize that. We can quibble, whatever. But also, there's another reason. The, the other reason they went with veterans is because they felt like we got a pretty good team here. And maybe we're just a quarterback away from taking another step. Not winning the Super Bowl, but a, a quarterback away from winning in the playoffs or whatever that case might be, right? I, I think most people would agree that had some influence on how they proceeded at quarterback. Now think about that. This team is no longer just a quarterback away. This season has laid bare the reality, which is that they're not a quarterback away. And maybe they were never maybe maybe they never were a quarterback away. You know, I, I think that's that's fair to ask now. And and so it leads you in a place kind of where you just described, you know, where are they? <laughs> they have they they arguably have more have more problems than than actual solutions for the future. And I think that's really disturbing if you're a Colts fan. I, I, I'm not talking you off the ledge, I guess, is what I'm doing here. Because I'm also not telling you to jump, but <laughs> say it, I get it. <laughs> so, look, I, I think one thing you didn't mention, and I'll add to your list, you know, their best defensive player, Shaquille Leonard, is a very muddy future right now. You know, and I, and I think the strength of their team has been their offensive line doesn't feel like a strength of their team right now. And, and they've got a lot of money invested there. I, I mean, there's so many critical fundamental issues and questions that need to be answered that I, I think the, the future for the Colts is, is very pro- problematic in the, in the short term. I mean, I, take the Steelers. I'm rambling now, but take the Steelers, right? So they draft, they, they draft this quarterback, Kenny Pickett, and, you know, they've had a lot of ups and downs this year. And so I think that shows you how, how the, the typical rookie quarterback goes, right? And he played well the other night at times, I thought. I, I actually think there's a lot of upside with Kenny Pickett. But I bring that up because it just goes to show you, if they go draft a quarterback, I'm all for that. But I'm just... But right, you're, you're, you're stepping back two years, right? Exactly. That's exactly But Steven, right. so, so, so which leads to my other question, which is this. If you're Jeff Saturday... I guess my question, and this is where I just get confused when I, again, more doors are being locked to me in my hallway because mm-hmm. I think about Jeff Saturday and I'm like, okay, Saturday probably wants to win games right now because he wants to show that he can coach in the NFL and prove doubters wrong and whatever else. I get that. 
Chris Ballard probably wants to, at this point, start assessing players and figuring out who you know who we can keep around and whatever else. And maybe he's looking more towards the future. Boom. Two people, two different pages, theoretically. In addition to that, then I look at, like, does Jeff Saturday, in his mind, is he playing for or is he coaching right now to be the coach? Or is he coaching as an assessment for a different player? area in which he's going to be with the organization and and how does Ballard feel about that and are we back to Grigson Pagano two guys I I just to me the whole thing is just a huge mess literally like I feel like if you're driving on 56th street there's going to be a huge roadblock around Lafayette Road that says warning construction upcoming you know what I mean oh yeah 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 I I mean I I think uh, not to mention all the potholes right so yeah (laughs) Look, so so listen, I, I agree with you there, and I, I just think I, I do think that part of part of what they have right now, and it's maybe it's temporary, so maybe it doesn't matter, but but I think you just laid it out. Part of what they have right now is they don't really have a brain trust. <laughs> you know, they have three people with maybe competing loyalties, goals, viewpoints. I don't know where that gets you. And, I, and the three people I'm talking about are Chris Ballard, Jeff Saturday, and Jim Mercy. Like, I don't know if any of those three guys are on the same page about anything. I, I don't know. I, I'm saying I'm not saying they aren't. I'm saying I'm just not so sure that they are. And and you laid out why that's probably the case. So uh, it, it's a it's not a great situation, I think. And, and I think that impacts what happens in the future and decisions that get made and where you focus, all of those things. Yeah, I agree. It's a problem. Yeah, again, major questions at the pillars that Jim Mercer always talks about. Head coach, GM, and quarterback. Yeah. And I don't think, even in 2011, 2017, uh, you know, 98, like you still knew Manning and Luck were either coming or they were there in the sense of still on your roster. Obviously, you don't have that right now. Steven, last one from me. And again, Steven Holder with us from ESPN.com. I thought Matt Ryan looked incredibly old the other night. Um, I, I just, I feel like his arm, I, I don't know. It, he just looked 37 to me. Um why not Nick Foles? I mean, I'm not acting like it'd be some significant upgrade, but this passing offense can't do anything, especially can't do anything vertically. There's a financial component that you're running the risk of continuing to play Matt Ryan, and if he were to get hurt behind this offensive line, he'd be owed even more money for next season. It seems like they want to win now, even in this you know four seven and one current scenario. So I I don't. I'd play Ellinger, but again, that's just me. It doesn't seem like that's necessarily on the radar. Uh, why don't you think Nick Foles is being thought of as a possible option? That's a fair question. I haven't thought a lot about Foles, but I do think that's a fair question. I, I agree with what you said uh, about Matt Ryan. I, I thought that his balls have lost some velocity. And maybe it's a shoulder, Stephen. And, and and yeah, I, I wonder because I I didn't think his throws looked this way earlier in the season. You know, I just didn't. I, yeah, I'm not agreed. saying I'm not saying he was like 84 Dan Marino, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying like I, I I think they definitely have lost some velocity his throws. And and there were times last night, even on the deep throws, the, the like two or three that they had, the intermediate throws really, the one to Jelani Woods, the ball takes a long time to get there if you look at it and it gets there and it's accurate, right? He's, he's still pretty accurate, but it takes a long time to get there. And I think some of those balls to the, to the outside, the, the throws outside the numbers 
if you notice, the Steelers were jumping those throws. No, oh, they contested so much. Yeah, and and I think you are onto something there, and and that's that's probably very. I think there's a relationship there. Is what I'm saying. So anyway, to Foles, I, it's an interesting question. I, I I guess part of it is they they probably feel, and Jeff Saturday probably feels like. Matt Ryan has been kind of yo-yoed a little bit this season, and he has. That's fair. Uh, now, should that matter? I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't. But, but I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is it's probably delicate, you know, and how you proceed there because you've already kind of had a train wreck and how they've handled the quarterback situation already. So I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with Matt Ryan. But I think Jeff Saturday was pretty clear about that the other night. We'll see if he sticks with that. Steven, I'm going to – I hope you're laying on a couch here because I'm going to ask one more totally Freudian question for you. Or actually, I guess I'm the one laying on the couch because I'm doing a psychoanalysis of myself. Um, I have said on this show, I, I've said numerous places, I want to run a theory past you and you as a more dialed in and educated man than I can critique it. Um, a general manager in the National Football League, there is no player – under which a general manager can find himself more attached at the hip than quarterback. And and I'm, by that, I mean when they go out and they draft a quarterback. You can be a general manager for a long time, but you truly go on the clock once you select the quarterback that you were going to then build around. And part of me wonders if Chris Ballard has not avoided going the quarterback route in terms of moving up and selecting the franchise build around quarterback because he knew that was the moment that the clock began and that all microscope then truly goes on the acumen of the general manager. And the time is now where all of a sudden the judgment day is here and he's not going to have a choice and he's got to do it. Your thoughts? No, I think you actually are correct. And I, I guess if, if you're on the couch, I guess that that means that I'm the, the therapist. That's right. I I don't know if I'm qualified for that, but I would say this: I, I think Chris Ballard's statements. I don't have to say. I don't have to psychoanalyze him because he said it. Okay, he has said it. He has said enough things and made enough statements that I think have led us to believe that he, that he has been timid about the quarterback situation. There also has been. There also haven't been, like, prime opportunities. Let's be clear, right? It's not like they've passed up a bunch of quarterbacks on their draft board. They haven't. They, they really, really haven't, right? So I want to be clear about that. I, it, I don't think we can, like, pound him for it. But I also think he has given us his, his outlook on this a number of times. And it's almost like I think Chris Ballard has – he wants the sure thing at quarterback. Here's the problem. There isn't one unless you're picking like first in the draft, there really isn't one. And so that's part of the problem. And that is, I think one of the, the difficulties that Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard is going to have to get past if he's making the quarterback decision for this team next year. And I think you're absolutely right. Can Steven Holder ESPN.com. If you missed it, head to his Twitter feed, uh, chatted with Jim Mercer, um, late last week. I know kind of get lost in the holiday shuffle um but a lot of stuff over on espn.com from steven uh we'll see you later today over at west 56 steven all right guys see you soon whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, here's the way I look at it for Purdue, okay? Purdue playing Michigan in the Big Ten title game and, and what we know is this, Kevin. What we know is that Purdue became the national darling a few years ago in the Rondell Moore game when they blew out Ohio State and, as a result of that, spared all of us across the country watching all of those Ohio State people and that one Buckeye fellow that paints his face from being in the playoffs and all that stuff, right? Yeah, the Tyler Trent game, right? Correct, yes. So, I, certainly, I would like to see Purdue win the Big Ten Championship. But if they do not, and they fall short against Michigan, I'm just simply chalking that up as Purdue once again doing their part to spare us the the plague of Ohio State again being in the college football playoff. Because if Purdue were to beat Michigan, there goes, although it seems ridiculous that Ohio State would replace the team that beat them by three touchdowns at Ohio State. There's no but, way Ohio State would replace Michigan. You don't think so? No way. Michigan just beat them last week by I, three scores. I know, at their own but place. you've got – I mean, if – if Michigan loses to an unranked Purdue, you don't think that that falters them three spots? No, not when you have the head-to-head so recent. Okay, well, I, I hope you're right. At Ohio State as well. I hope you're right. Uh, let's chat more about Saturday night inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. Really looking forward to it. Purdue and Michigan. Tom Deanhart, who covers the Boilers for On3.com, is with us right now. Uh, Tom, I guess let's start with... Aiden O'Connell and everything he's been through this past week. Um, just kind of the latest update on him. Um, I, I assume the expectation is he will try and give it a go again Saturday. Yeah, you want to ask him on Monday. Is that peanuts? Now, you know, here's the thing. Purdue is known, of course, of being the school that landed the first man on the moon, right? Uh, the second one from Purdue is actually on the phone with us right now, right? Is that Neil? Is that Mr. Armstrong right well, there? Well, Mr. Armstrong's no longer with us, but <laughs> but that sounds like a connection from uh, where he's been, for sure. <laughs> yeah, a hair muffled there. We'll try and get Tom Dehart. A hair muffled, muffled, he said. Did you make out what he was saying there? Yeah. Yeah. He was saying, light us. We're ready for recess. That's what he was saying. 16 and... <laughs> Did he land? Has the Apollo yes, landed? He's here. Tom, do we got you? I am here. Sorry about that. I don't know what was up. Boy, that sounds pristine. Thank you for that. Um was asking about Aiden O'Connell, Tom, and just maybe when you first got wind of what he was going through off the field and the latest update on him just kind of practice-wise heading into Saturday night. I first heard something during that IU game, during the process of that IU game, and then um, obviously people saw him on the sideline unconsolable, and then Jeff Rahm was asking the post game about it. He got very emotional about it, didn't provide any details. And then, of course, Aiden sends out the social media message on Sunday, sort of explaining what's going on, and yeah, you can only imagine how he's able to, to battle through and play in that old Oakland Bucket game. And you know, talking to Jeff Brom Monday and then Brian Brom yesterday, you know, Aiden is still not on campus, understandably, still back home taking care of family matters. Uh, not sure when he's going to return, but you know, Jeff Brom thinks he's going to be ready to go and he will play on on Saturday. So yeah, just uh. 
an incredible storyline that's, that's you know really you know overarching this this big moment for for the Purdue football program. Tom, with that, it has been a circuitous journey for Purdue to get to this point into the Big Ten championship game. Obviously, the Big Ten West was very topsy turvy. There are two ways to look at it. One would be that for Purdue, it's house money. Nobody expects them to beat Michigan. What the heck? Let's go for it. Let's have fun with it. Um, you know, you do have the Aiden O'Connell story, maybe that 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 bonds the team together and rallies around their leader in that regard. But uh, the other way to look at it is that Purdue hears so much about this disparity west to east and Michigan being the team that's just going to waltz its way into the playoff that Purdue just folds up tent, psychologically speaking. Have you gotten any sense in seeing the program or the players themselves, like what kind of pep is in their step or which way they're they're rolling here? Well, I think just the guys we talked to last night after practice, Payne Durham especially, they, they realize their role here. They know they're the underdog, and I think they already are embracing that. Sixteen-and-a-half uh, point underdogs. The last time I checked, so yeah, and you talked about house money, and that, that's a great way to put it. At this point, it's all gravy for Purdue, right? All the pressure is on Michigan. They're the they're the playoff team. They're the the defending Big Ten champ, and and they're supposed to roll over Purdue. So again, um, it's nice to play in that that underdog role. And again, I think Purdue has embraced that. It's a role they've excelled at, guys. And you probably saw the stat right on Jeff Brom. He's 3-0 and at Purdue against top three-ranked teams. So these moments haven't been too big for him uh, when, when that spotlight's glaring really brightly. Again, Tom Deanhart with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline on 3.com, covers the Boilers. You know, if you look at Michigan last year, they, they beat Ohio State in the big house. They come to Indianapolis, and they did not overlook Iowa whatsoever in clinching their playoff berth. Purdue and Michigan have not seen each other really at all over the past decade. I think it's only one time. Um, just overall thoughts on this matchup specifically of what you've seen from Michigan. They look tremendous on Saturday, but you know they've struggled with Maryland at home for a while. I think Illinois hung in there. I mean, hell, I think Indiana might have had a lead at halftime or hanging in there for a half in Bloomington. Just kind of strengths and weaknesses for Purdue versus Michigan. Yeah, Rutgers was leading them at halftime out in Piscataway earlier this year as well, so they're very good, very physical, you know, kind of like a Bo Schembechler 1985 Michigan team. Uh, they want to run the ball, and, and they've had the, the big-time running backs in Donovan Edwards and Blake Corm, obviously. But Blake Corm's probably not going to play. And uh, the quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, right, he's the guy that I think Ohio State last week dared to throw the ball, and he did just that and showed he could hit some big plays down the field. And defensively, right, um, in front to back, and it's excellent. Brian Brom said last night, it's going to be the best defense they see all year. So there's just really not many weaknesses on either side of the ball. Um, I think if, if you're pretty offensive, you got to try to keep it away from Michigan, right? Um, Devin Mockaby kind of gives you a ground game, and he can maybe extend possessions for you, and that would open up, obviously, the pass game for O'Connell and company. And defensively, I guess you hope Michigan maybe commits three or four turnovers. Because I think the only way Purdue wins this thing is if they score, again, like an unconventional touchdown on defense or special teams. So it could happen. We see crazy things happen all the time, but it's going to take almost a perfect meeting of the football gods for, for Purdue probably to pull this one off. Any guess or idea on the ticket split inside of Lucas Oil Saturday night? Again, Michigan there last year. You would think Michigan fans are probably looking to save a little bit for the playoff. Um, any idea of what it could look like in there? 
Yeah, first people, most pundits think, guys, if Michigan even, should they get upset, they're still going to go to the playoff. Uh, you know they still want to win the ball game, but uh, there's always that that's got to be in the back of everybody's mind. And you're right, if you're a Michigan fan, maybe you save your money for that for that playoff game. I'm not sure about the, the, the split. I know I asked somebody at Purdue yesterday how many tickets the athletic department got. I was told 10,000. And I know the student tickets sold out very quickly among the, the, the kids here in West Lafayette. So, you know, maybe it's maybe it's close to being a 50-50 crowd. You think with the excitement for Purdue fans only 60 miles away that, that they can maybe have maybe even an edge from a fan standpoint come kickoff at 8 p.m. down there in Lucas Oil. You know, Tom, Tom Deanhart is our guest, by the way, talking Purdue football here, who takes on Michigan in the Big Ten title game. You can read Tom's work at On3. That's the number three, On3.com. Tom, um, Jeff Brom has been very offensive at times, particularly kind of in his rise towards when he come to, towards when he came to Purdue. Offensively, he can be aggressive in the fact of not afraid to kind of pull rabbits out of the hat or just do different looks, different things. Seemingly for Purdue, you know, as you talked about with that Michigan defense, that maybe Purdue's going to have to get a little bit creative here. Are we going to see Purdue just say, hey, here's who we are and here's what we do and, and try to stop it? Or are they going to try to do some of that house money, let's just come up with wild wrinkles type scenarios? I think he's going to have some type of a wrinkle. He, he, he typically does, right? I, and why not let it all hang out? I mean, I, like, like we spoke about a moments ago, they've got nothing to lose, right? This is house money. This is gravy. And uh, go down blazing, right? And uh, we've all seen Jeff Rom over six years be pretty innovative from an offensive standpoint. And uh, I got to think he'll have one or two things that Michigan hasn't seen that he hopes maybe gives him some type of an edge. Maybe it lets him get a key first down at a certain juncture of the game or, or, or at the goal line, and it, and it creates a situation where they can get six points instead of a field goal. So, yeah, I do think we are going to see something. Now, that's his strength, right? He's, uh, I think most Saturdays, guys, in most of these games in six years, I think when he looks across the field, I think he has a little bit of an edge schematically. Not always the best players, but I think schematically he has an edge. And it's going to be tough to do that against Tarball, but I think – I think Jeff Brown will come up with a wrinkle or two to try to give Purdue a, a, an edge, especially, like I said, at, at a critical juncture in the ballgame. I was going to say, I feel like the bag of tricks for Jeff Brown always seems to have something in there in these sorts of matchups. Again, Tom Deanhart is with us, covers Purdue football for on3.com. Um, this is a very dumb question, Tom. If Purdue wins, they go to the Rose Bowl, right? That's what I'm told. I've, I've checked with Jerry Palm on that. And uh, I know the Rose Bowl, some story came out about the Rose Bowl changing its criteria, but um, as far as I still know from what I'm told, trusted by Jerry, of course, Jerry's the, the CBS Sports Bowl expert. He's also a bracketologist. You guys probably talked to him, I'm sure. And Big Ten champ, it's not going to playoff. It's supposed to go to the Rose Bowl. And then if, so, they, if they were to lose, well, what do you see as bowl options for Purdue? And Jerry told me when I talked to him a couple of days ago, he thinks, and most most likely, they're going to go to Florida. He didn't see them not going to a bowl in Florida. So that means going to Orlando, the Citrus Bowl, or going to the bowl in Tampa, the, the ReliaQuest Bowl, which used to be the Outback Bowl. Right now, Jerry and others have Purdue playing in Orlando against LSU. And the big key for Purdue, yeah, the big, the big key for Purdue is going to be getting Penn State into a New Year's Six Bowl. 
And most people think Penn State is going to get to the Cotton Bowl. And that's going to happen because LSU got beat by A&M last week. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. But, again, it's setting up right now for Purdue to land in Florida, most likely the Citrus Bowl, should they lose this ball game uh, on Saturday night. So, heck, the Boilers have not played a bowl game in the Sunshine State since 2006. And they played in Orlando back then. Uh, so, again, uh, I'm sure the Boilermaker fans would love to go take their pale bodies to Florida in, in, in early January, watch some football and catch some rays, right? Do they still have the Polon Weed Eater Independence Bowl? Oh, man, no. And I, and I, I have a moment of silence every New Year's <laughs> Day for that, for the because, death. Because, Tom, the only bowl. thing better than going to Shreveport, Louisiana, is telling people you're in the Polon Weed Eater Independence Bowl, right? That was, now, now we got the Cheese It Bowl, which, is, which is, isn't quite as good. But hey, Clemson good. won the Cheese It Bowl last year. I got a box of Cheez Its from it. Yeah, that's nice. And then we got the Duke Mayo Bowl where you get the mayo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your yeah head they got the mayo there's, splash, there's, yep. There's, and there's an outside, outside shop where you could go to that bowl. Can you imagine Jeff Brom getting mailed? Oh, yeah. Head? I love that. Or, or, I don't want to be that guy. I mean, Purdue fans taking their know. family think, down to Florida to I take think, on LSU. I think Mayo probably goes pretty well with a lot of the – like Wisconsin should go to the Mayo Bowl. That fits right with their fan base, doesn't it? You know yeah, what they I mean? can dip their cheese. They can dip their cheese curds <laughs> in the mayo, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Tom, uh, enjoy Saturday night. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome atmosphere down here in Indianapolis. Uh, Purdue fans with ups and downs of this season. Uh, going to be a great atmosphere in there and. House money, as Jake has said, that's an accurate way to put it with Purdue and Michigan this Saturday night. Going to be a fun game to cover inside of Lucas Oil. Tom, thanks for the time this morning. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, thank you very much for having me, guys. Take care. Now, Mark, did you notice that this morning I showered? I, I did. Mean, I, I know you were there did too, for I it, think, but... which is a nice change of pace for both of you. Well, we knew that we had to look professional, right? Yes. Why Always. start now? What's... Always. <laughs> I mean, we're, I, I don't, I don't perceive myself as a professional broadcaster. But Kevin, as you know, that when there are people that I consider to be professional, I figure that we need to look at least upkept. Right? I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jeff Smolian is with us in studio. Jeff, of course, what he. Um has done and did with MS Communications speaks for itself and an unbelievable history in sports radio, the godfather of it, and has got a new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, um, and, and want to chat about that and a whole lot with you here because you are uh, on the board of trustees at USC right now, and yes. I'm sitting there watching that game on Saturday night thinking, I think Colts fans might cut off a pinky for a Lincoln-Riley-Caleb-Williams combo, but you probably wouldn't like that, right? Well, no. What I, Yeah. What I would say is I wanted to, the, N, the NFL to do what the NBA used to do, draft futures, and the Colts draft Caleb-Williams a year in advance like the Celtics did with Larry Bird. Because I, yeah, I think he's the best quarterback I've ever seen at SC. Uh, people, uh, friends who've seen him play UCLA and 
and Notre Dame the last couple weeks said, my gosh, he's really good. I said, he does this every single week. Every week he does something, you sit there and go, wow, I can't believe that play. His capability. It's like he is always a step ahead. Nothing yep. rattles him around him. The pressure comes, and he just kind of pushes people off him. And, and, he, and he could be on a full run and throw the ball 40 yards down the field and hit somebody in stride. And you just sit there and go, how did he do that? And he does it every week. Well, you... You know, obviously, Jeff Smolian, you're involved, very involved, for those that don't know, in USC athletics. Yeah. And so, you know, University of Southern California, I think now it's well publicized, uh, gave Lincoln Riley all of Orange County and half of San Diego to come out there, and it's paid off. But, but none, did, but none of Bakersfield. <laughs> no right. Bakersfield. No um, but did you anticipate this kind of a return on investment this early in the tenure? No, I, I got involved with the athletic department uh, because of the economics of the Pac-12 so I spent a lot of time and got to know Mike Bone very well when Mike Bone first said he thought he had a shot at Lincoln Riley I went oh my gosh I can't believe you can nobody everybody knew that we needed to change the culture dramatically and, and certainly I didn't think that the, you would be you know 11 and 1 the first year and should have beaten Utah you know a lot of people Jeff would would critique and I probably have been in this school of thought the the debate just you know in terms of the money that goes into athletics and paying a coach a lot of money and everything else and then i look at it and i say but there probably is an roi with that because of not only the marketability of the program but i would assume the revenue that comes in in terms of alumni pride off of a dominant program like that in terms of donations that it pays for itself is that fair yeah yes and no and i i spent almost four years working on the economics of the pac-12 for usc and as you know the end result was we ended up going to the big 10 right uh and people say how could you do that and it's simple it, 50 to 70 million dollars a year more for the university um but it's it is pride i had a, a former president said you know it, it's not the donations somebody doesn't give you 200 million dollars uh to name the school of liberal arts because they like your running backs uh, those donations come because of uh, the desire for academic excellence, but it does build a sense of pride. And, and our and one of my friend who was president of the university said, "You'd be amazed how many Nobel laureates want to come out here to teach because they like football too." Um, so that's so there, there are there are byproducts. Seventy two and sunny helps too, Kevin. Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we've got a ton to get to with you again. Never ride a roller coaster upside down. Um, I think some Ken Griffey Jr., some David Letterman, some Andrew Luck type stories. Like you said, the USC move to the Big Ten, something to hit on as well. Um, and then just the Godfather of sports radio. Um, without Jeff, certainly we are not here today. So we'll chat about that coming up in the nine o'clock hour. That music that you hear right there is quite possibly what would be playing on this radio station if it not were not for. Our next guest, who was kind of the original brains and vision behind Sports Talk Radio. That's just one of the things that can be read about in his new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. We're talking about Jeff Smolian of Emmis, who joins us here in the studio on Kevin and Query on a good looking, by the way, Wednesday morning to you. Good morning to you, Jake Query, along with Kevin Bowen. And um, first off, Jeff, before we get to talking about, because there are a billion things we could talk about with you, I don't know that people understand or were aware of your involvement in this facilitation of USC and UCLA joining into the Big Ten and then the dominoes that could fall with that. But before we get to that, let me just simply ask, the book itself, 
what was the the original brainstorm of you know what I should write a book and take me through the process of being able to do that? Well, I have an 18 year old daughter who, by the way, is not at USC. She's a freshman at Georgetown and loves it there. Um, I would take her to school every day. So from kindergarten until I, I, she fired me when she got a driver's license. <laughs> um, so that's what I have to look forward to. Oh yeah, you're saying with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, the, the pink slip will come in. Um, but we just talk about life every day. We always had a 30 minute drive, and we talk about. I'm sort of a lesson guy. Here's what I learned here. Here's what I learned there. Here's a story about that. And one day she said, Dad, nobody would ever believe these stories. You got to write it down. And when COVID came, things were slow. And I, I'm one of those people who stayed at home for about four days. Uh, and then the, the dogs and the wife and the daughter, uh, I sort of said, you know, I could be quieter in my office here upstairs. So I came in and just started writing. And the next thing I knew, I had about 300 pages, sent it off to a couple friends who both said, you know, you got a book here. Um, and then the next thing I knew, uh, I got an editor who was fabulous who helped me. She'd say, this is extraneous. This doesn't move the story along. Amplify this. And then we got an agent and a publisher, and uh, here we are. One of the anecdotes in there comes courtesy of David Letterman, and he had a quote saying that you gave him the confidence to leave Indianapolis. Yeah, that would be a, a, a fictitious quote. Uh, David, David, I think what he, I think what he meant was your management was so bad. I needed to leave Indiana. I think that's what David. Meant. No, I, I, I don't mean that. Your, your relationship with David and yeah. how all of that. Unfolded. Yeah, that they, the, the, David was really nice enough to, to do a quote for the book, as was Andrew, who is my next door neighbor. Uh, Andrew Luck, for those Andrew who don't Luck, know. And, and Jerry Reinsdorf, who's been like a big brother to me, and Evan Bai, and Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr., all the people that, um, you know, I worked with. And uh, But David really was just absolutely brilliant. Um, when he took the job with us uh, at the first radio station I ever ran, he said, I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to go to Hollywood and see if I can become a writer. Uh, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I would say. Jeff, yeah. what's interesting to me is that as you're writing that book, you probably are realizing different people that you have rubbed elbows with, worked with, mentored, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I would imagine that that creates in you a feeling of like, wow, like I've met some really interesting, really fascinating people. But is it surreal for you? to realize and recognize that there are other people that someday in their book will have the same pride of the fact that they met Jeff Smolian. Well, you know, you always hope so. I think the thing I'm proudest of is sort of the things that we we did and stood for. The, the point of the book is, in, in you know, is you do fail as much as you succeed, uh, understand the failures and laugh about them. Um, when you talked about sports radio, uh, that was a project I always wanted to do. And when I presented it to our managers, they pretty much laughed. Um, and that would have been what year? 1986 when we okay. talked about it. We launched it in 87. Uh, I have two chapters in the book. One is, the, I, one of my favorite sayings is a line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I've been on both sides many times. So the chapter about fan is idiot to genius because nobody wanted to do it. Uh, Rick Cummings uh, to this day laughs about it. Uh, we had a manager's vote and it, it failed. So we weren't going to do it. And Rick Cummings, who's been with me since the beginning, came in the next day with Doyle Rose and said, you know what? We owe you one. We're going to do this idea of all sports radio, but we want to let you know it's stupid. Um, and it was. <laughs> and this a, was in New York, right? This is in New York City, WFAN. And then it, it was a bomb for about a year. Uh, and then we bought the NBC stations and merged it and put Imus on and Mike and the Mad Dog. And then it became the hottest radio station in America. So I went from idiot 
to genius on the same project and then following up on that then we dealt with the new york mets we knew baseball i always loved baseball people said you guys are marketing wizards we need marketing wizards in seattle so i went to seattle as the boy wonder uh and you know you know i was a hero uh, and then three years later, I was uh, probably the biggest pariah in the entire state of Washington, which is tough. Uh, but I went from genius to idiot. So it happens. And uh, and I think the fun thing about the book is just telling the stories and reliving them. And hopefully people will find it funny. Hopefully people will learn from the lessons, good and bad, um, and maybe learn some things about the economics of all these businesses. Why were you so bullish on sports talk radio having staying power, particularly in local markets? I just thought I thought that the future of, of especially in those days, AM radio was not going to be music. We were sort of pioneers in building FM music stations. Uh, and I thought, and when we got to New York, it was a simple math question. I said, look, if the future of AM is music, uh, I mean, FM is music and AM is talk. There's two all-news stations, WINS and WCBS. There's two talk stations, WOR and WABC. So if we're going to ever do sports talk, and I'm also sort of the believer that radio's like an anchor tenant, like a shopping center. We had the Mets, so that was your big tenant. Um, and then so we had the Mets, and we built it around it, and um, – it worked. But. If you would have seen in the vision and in yeah. the future that eventually it would lead to the pairing of this radio program, you would have stopped the roller coaster, right? <laughs> that would have been, yeah, I would have voted against it uh, that day in New uh. York in 1985. If I had said, I got to deal with Jake and, Ke- and Kevin, um, I would have said, no, I'm not doing that. That's right. <laughs> How did it come to be the ownership of the Mariners and, and just um, maybe some stuff behind the scenes that the common fan wouldn't know about what it means to own a well, professional sports franchise. well and you know everybody said it's an ego thing and you know we've always said look we we always looked at the economics of any business we like the business the buying a baseball team was really a recognition of the future of television and cable tv we saw it coming uh as i always said we saw it uh, but we were too early the market was not the right market um but I loved it. I thought the, I always say you do your best management in the toughest situations. We did some things there uh, for the game day experience and the average fan that had never been done before. Uh, all sorts of in-stadium stuff, fireworks, uh, crazy video clips, which you see now everywhere. Um, one of my favorite projects was doing situational music to, to things. Um, which was a lot of fun. I can still remember the one that we thought we were going to get kicked out of baseball for. Um, the, the, the Yankees had Louis Polonia, um, and Louis Polonia had had a, an underage incident in Milwaukee, and when he came up to bat, we, we played she was just 17, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and we thought that was going to be problematic. But, Probably wouldn't uh, fly today. <laughs> yeah, but, but at any rate, we had all sorts of fun and uh, did great things. But, you know, the market was tough. Uh, the community had never embraced the team. And I and I've said, we weren't rich enough. Um, you had to be, I, I joked at once, to own the Mariners or the Milwaukee Brewers or the Kansas City Royals, you had to be a billionaire in those days. If you owned the Yankees or the Dodgers, if you had a paper route that was moderately successful, it was okay. But the math was bad. We just couldn't afford it. Could you see Indy ever no. having an MLB team? I got into it wanting to put a team in Indianapolis. Were you part of the the Arrows group with Art yeah, and Gotti? Yeah, peripherally, yeah. They were friends. Art, Art and Gotti was a friend, and I worked with them a little bit. Um, and the math just never worked um as as it became a game of region number one it became a game of disposable income 
um, suites and ticket sales and signage and and um, and it also became a game of cable TV. And if you look at Indianapolis's cable market, you know you get sixty miles to the south, and you're in Reds territory, Correct. and you get to Lafayette, and you're in Cubs and White Sox territory. Terre Haute's always been Cardinals territory, so the math didn't. Work. We actually had a chance to move a team here after I was out of baseball, uh, and I thought Which about team it. would it have been? Well, it was when the Expos were okay. And they didn't know what to do with the Expos. We talked, and um, and I talked to some friends in baseball, and and one dear friend said, "Look, you've had." bad economics before do you really want to have worse economics in your own town do you believe that you know there there is some uncertain uncertainty is maybe the wrong word yeah. jeff jeff smolian is our guest by the way and the book is never ride a roller coaster upside down the ups downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur the pacers are in you know here you have in the nba your old market of seattle yeah it seems inevitable they're going to end up with the team las yeah. vegas one would think is going to end up with the team and just based on market size, I do worry. I don't have yep. anything to base it on, but I worry about, after Herb Simon, the long-term viability in Indianapolis for the Pacers. Is that a valid concern? Yeah, it is. Uh, we are too small to have two pro sports teams. We're very fortunate. We always talk about ourselves as the 20th market or the 15th market. We're about the 40th metropolitan area in population. Um, it is it is a tribute to the Simon family uh, and to the Ursays that they have stayed here. Um, and my and, and of course the NFL doesn't matter much. You give me an NFL team in Tipton and I'll be happy. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think Steve is Simon is as committed as Herb, um, and I think that's why they're doing this whole renovation. Um, and and I do believe the and the NBA will expand into into Phoenix. And, and there's a long reason why they didn't stay in Seattle, and a lot of the same things we had. Um, you know, to, to, Seattle is a wonderful place, very tough for support like this. I got in trouble once and said, if I had these problems in Indianapolis, I could meet with the corporate community and the government and solve them in three days. And that was that was true with the Sonics. It was true with us just the way it was so you do believe though that the pacers will long-term stay in it i think so i really do what's uh andrew luck like as a neighbor andrew's the nicest guy in the world just could not be a nicer person um andrew's getting his master's at stanford this year yeah education right yep and uh it could not be a nicer person. you know if he moves he won't tell you ahead of time Right, we know that. Uh, about oh no, I, it's not. No. I, I love Andrew. I, I have people always say, well, "What's your What's your next door neighbor doing?" I go, "Yeah, I don't know." Traveling the world, right? Yeah, they but just welcome their second kid in. Yeah, they, 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 they have uh, Penelope, and she was born this summer, right before they went to Palo Alto. But wonderful person. When I did this book, we were talking one day. He said, "Let me read it," and so he read like the first draft of it, and could not have been nicer. What he, do you think he ends up doing? I think he'll coach. My guess is he'll coach. Uh, I think he'll coach high school athletics. Andrew is a brilliant guy who can do just about anything. Jeff, I've always applauded Andrew Luck in the fact that I've never bought into, you know, the people that say, well, he quit on his franchise and he set them back. Listen, I mean, he's he's a guy that I think looked into the crystal ball, right, and said, you know what, I want to be able to pick up my daughter and and walk through the yard with her. But if he is in graduate school at Stanford right now, the question for you would be, does that mean that he is going to be attending graduate school at a a future Big Ten institution? Um, If I had to bet, I would bet that the next wave, and it won't be for a while, is that the Big Ten and the SEC will end up with 20 schools. And if I had to bet, I would say it would be the pairing would, interestingly enough, Notre Dame and Stanford. There's a wonderful academic 
parallel there, um, and 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 probably Washington and Oregon. So you're saying twenty schools each or a merger? Because no, the Big 20, Ten, twenty schools each. Big right, right. Ten of twenty and so the, the pack. I'm and thinking the, the Big Ten right now is at what? What number are they? Sixteen. At right now? SC and UCLA will be fifteen and sixteen. Okay, so then four that would have to be added. Yeah. And you think that's Stanford? Stanford would seemingly pair well with Notre Dame, right? Right. That leaves two then. Right. Oregon, Washington. I would, if I had to bet, and again, total. I have no knowledge that if I if I had to bet, the SEC will add four, and the Big Ten will add four more. Is Notre Dame the white whale in all of this? Like, yeah, they are. Um, Jack, and, and you know, Jack used to work with us, and I love him dearly. Um, Jack Swarbrick, the AD right. there. Yeah, and uh, you know, Jack has always been able to be independent and can. Uh, they've had this, this deal where they had their own deal with NBC, and then they get some ACC revenues. But I think at the end of the day, if there's two super conferences, Notre Dame will be one of the two, and it certainly would be the Big Ten because of academics. You obviously have seen a ton of events come across the city of Indianapolis in your time. Do you think in the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years, Indy gets another Super Bowl? I think so. I think we, you know, we, we dazzle people with, uh, with the one we had. Uh, and I knew some NFL people, and I, I joked and said, if a drop of snow falls anywhere between here and Peoria, it will be picked up before it hits the ground. Uh, they were dazzled. I think when we got it, I think we got it because there's sort of an unwritten rule that you build a new stadium and Northern sure. City gets one. But I think, you know, we clearly are the best in the world in, in doing things like this. Only Indianapolis could play all 63 NCAA basketball games. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. What is the failure, Jeff Smolian, that most kept you at times from feeling 100% confident? And what is the failure that most motivated you? Well, I think the failure was, you know, I mean, listen, the first station I ever ran, uh, the one with Letterman didn't didn't work. The Mariners was, uh, I always say, it's one thing to fail. It's another thing to fail in front of 30,000 people every night. Um, but I think they always motivated me. I think the biggest failure was seeing the company collapse in 09 when everybody said, you're going to go bankrupt. Uh, and me and a number of wonderful people who were still upstairs basically said, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to save this darn thing. Uh, and we did. Uh, we At one point, Amos had over a billion six hundred million dollars of debt. We paid it all off. Today, we have money in the bank. Um, I think that was a failure that I think uh, I was very proud of the people around me who just said, we're not going to quit and we're going to save this thing. What led to you wanting to create Emmis and then put it right here on the circle? Well, I always wanted to do this. I was a kid who grew up listening to baseball games and rock and roll music. Uh, and I and I've told my daughter who's now a freshman in college, she's, gee, I don't know what I'll do yet. I said, look, I was an anomaly. I knew I wanted to do radio when I was probably 15 years old, maybe earlier. Uh, and I went to school, studied broadcasting, got a law degree. In those days, nobody said get an MBA. They said go get a law degree. I studied broadcast law. And I always knew I wanted to start my own company. And my dad, I, I was going to stay in California. My dad said come back, and he convinced me to come back. Um, so I always knew it was going to be here. And then we were in like four locations and the mayor said, we got a, an open hole on the circle. Would you think about putting the company there? And we said, yeah, yeah. And never regretted any of those decisions. You know, and, and I don't mean that this is really going to sound like I'm, I'm kissing up here. I'm not, I mean, hell, you're not our boss anymore. So yeah, you, you don't know, really, I'm right? surprised you guys will um, be on the air. That's right. But <laughs> I thought it was a stranger but, walking in soon. Yeah, that's right. But 
there is, and, and I'm, I'm simply asking if you're aware of this. For those of us like myself who grew up in Indianapolis and have a great pride in Indianapolis, there has been this security blanket of knowing that you were one of the people that was based here in Indianapolis because it felt like the city would never be in position to completely fail so long as certain pillars were in place. Were you aware of that, and does it come with pressure? Well, I, 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 you are probably the single only person of the six and a half million people in the state of Indiana who would believe that I would be a pillar that would uh, save <laughs> well. the state of Indiana. But no, I mean, I, I take great pride in the fact I've been involved in a lot of things in this town that I'm very proud of. Uh, I'm proud of the culture. It broke my heart when we finally said, look, we got to get out of the media business and do something else. But I, but it's been a great source of pride to be here. Uh, I have friends from L.A. and San Francisco and New York and Chicago and everywhere and said, what are you doing there? But I love it. It's home. My family's been here for over 130 years. Um, and so it's it's a matter of great pride when people ask you to help, you know, do the things that, that might make the city better. I asked this a bit selfishly, so apologies on that front. But every morning when I drive down here, yeah. uh, it's just an amount of gratitude I hope I have in doing what I love and, yeah. and so passionate about it and lucky to do it. Um, what do you think the future is of local sports radio? I think it's there's always going to be a need, and I think there's a better future for for basically sports and and news talk uh, because it's local. I think the big failing of the of the industry is it stopped being local enough. I think a lot of the companies believe, and, and I think it was a function of having too much debt. And when you read the book, you'll see all that if you want to read the book. Um, but there, there's something magical about the connection that you can't get anywhere else. And if you're a sports fan in this city, and probably 30% of the people here, maybe more, are sports fans, um, this is the only place you really go to get it. I will tell you, if we, if, before we break, I can tell you an anecdote if you want. Um we when we invented when we put sports radio on the air, uh, it, it was different because they used to say that when you were in sports um, and before sports radio, if you were a ball player, or a manager, or an owner, uh, and you got ripped in the newspaper, um, you got ripped, um, and and you read the paper and it was done for the day. But with sports radio, it was twenty four hours a day. So one of my dear friends uh, who was in Seattle. Um, and kidded me and said, you know, I'm not a religious man. Um, but he said, it's ironic that the guy who invented this stupid format that allowed every one of us to get attacked 24 hours a day is now an owner, and he's getting attacked 24 hours a day. <laughs> and he said, it proves to me there's a God. Um, but it did. It changed everything, and it's a forum for people. And so will it, will it decline over time? I, listen, I don't know. But I think if I'm going to bet on on the radio business, I'm going to bet on the things that are local that matter to people, and this matters to people. You know, did you ever go to Kings Island and ride the Screaming Demon? No, I'm I'm I no, I am not a roller coaster. Kevin, guy. did you same, ever ride the Screaming Demon? Jeff and I are the same. Well, I'm the only one here then that's ridden a roller coaster upside down. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, yeah. I, yeah and that's why that's why I named the book because I ain't doing it. <laughs> but enough. I did it with my life. But there were parts, I'm assuming there are parts of the book that for you, while you were going through it, were an upside down roller coaster, right? Yeah, there were, and I, and I look at the book and I, you know, I think the thing I'm most gratified is the people who've read the book think it's really funny and think there's some interesting lessons in the stories. They like the story. So it's been very gratifying, the initial response I've had. Um, 
but living going back through and living off it i go oh, wow why did i pick this why did i not pick that and you'll see a lot of those in the book if you, if you choose to read and again people can find the book pretty much uh, it starts yeah it comes out next tuesday okay. uh, and you can go I, i'm getting into full sales mode by the way they never let me sell anything at this company <laughs> and they say, don't talk to clients uh if you go right now to amazon or barnesandnoble.com or booksamillion.com or or the apple uh whatever it is uh, bookstore and just type in my name or never write a roller coaster upside down you can order it now it will be released on tuesday I love it. I love it. Awesome holiday gift. And I think I speak for Jeff or Jake and I and certainly everybody here at the station. Thank you for everything. Kevin, and, and you, as I've said to you guys both, you guys do a wonderful job, really. And I can say that now because I'm just a fan. I'm not an owner anymore. <laughs> can you call but Alfred Liggins and tell him that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put in a good word for us. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.